Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Here's God's word. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful to be here this morning. I pray that you would uh, be with me as I, as I preach your word, that you would just get me out of the way um, and um, give yourself all of the glory. I pray that you would be glorified um, during this, um, this sermon, and I pray for um, the congregation and myself as well, Lord, that we would be attentive hearers, um, that we would um, have our hearts uh, challenged uh, by the message this morning. Lord, we, we thank you so much for who you are and just for the opportunity to be here this morning. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So this is a great, I actually love the fact that we did Philippians 2, 5 through 11 uh, for our Christmas series this year, um, because it's a great passage um, to give us the full picture, right? A lot of times we focus on Christmas, we focus on uh, the incarnation, which is obviously the most important part of of Christmas, Um, but this passage, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, um, gives us a good uh, looking forward to um, as far as the whole picture of what's actually going on here, right? Uh, we've seen uh, Christ's incarnation, right, coming as, as a human baby, being born in the likeness of men, right? We saw um, last week his death, right, his death on the cross. Um, and this week in uh, verses 9 through 11 here in Philippians 2, we're actually going to focus on something called Christ's exaltation. Christ's exaltation. That's what scholars who are more, much more intelligent than me call this passage, so I'm going to stick with it. This week, uh, as, we were, we were, as I was looking through and talking about Christ's exaltation, right, being lifted up, uh, being high, being the king, right, I decided to do some research okay, on who um, the most powerful kings in the world were. Okay? And so um, I saw a ton of opinions. Right? There was uh, Cyrus the Great, which we know a lot about right, because we were just in Ezra and Nehemiah before Philippians. Um, others said Augustus Caesar. Some said Genghis Khan. Others said Alexander the Great, right? No matter what person I clicked on to learn more about them, there was at least three or four different people who were giving me ten different opinions why this specific person was the most powerful ruler to exist in human history. So just for fun, I wanted to see, okay, well, what is... Um, I did some research on who was the most humble ruler to ever exist in human history. I was curious um, if these things would line up or not. What I found when I searched about humble kings was that there was, it's very subjective, right, on what actually, is, what actually is a humble person or a humble king. Right? A lot of people said it's just being nice, so if they were nice, that meant they were humble. Um, a lot of people, when I was looking on the Internet, said that um, a humble king just means a pushover, right, because a lot, of, a lot of the kings who were maybe a little bit cowardly or so, they didn't stay in power too long, um, it really, when I, when I searched this, I was expecting to read stories about a king who maybe, like, scrubbed his own toilet or something, or, you know, gasp, made his own food, right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, but that's not really what I found at all. I didn't really find any stories on that. I did see 
Um, there was a, there's a, a monarchy in Norway, had no idea, so now you know as well, um, that takes public transportation, um, and that was on the list of the most humble leaders, right? Okay, a king that takes public transportation is on the list of the most humble leaders. So I, eventually, after some time, I looked for about 20 minutes, I kind of gave up, right? Because it seemed like humanity really doesn't value as a whole um, humility in our rulers, Right? We don't necessarily treat our rulers as everyday people, and we don't usually expect them to live like everyday people. There's really, I, I just kind of said, okay, this was a failure of an illustration. There's really no good earthly comparison to Christ's lordship. So today, we are going to look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Christ's exaltation. Okay, we've seen Christ's humiliation, his, his death on the cross, right? one of the worst deaths that you could die. Um, And then today we're going to see his exaltation. Christ made himself low so that God would raise him up. So in our passage today, we see three key truths about Christ's exaltation. Three key truths about Christ's exaltation and what they mean for us as we go through our passage. Three key truths about Christ's exaltation. Uh, Number one, key truth number one. God the Father has exalted Jesus Christ above all. God the Father has exalted Jesus Christ above all. Read with me in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So our verse starts with the word therefore. Right? One of my old college professors in seminary, um, he said every time, anytime you see a therefore in the text, you've got to figure out what the therefore is Therefore, right? Okay? Um, so, the word therefore means for this reason. Okay? So, it's, it's a self-evident result of something else that, is, that has happened. Right? So, we need to look back at verse 8. What, what's happened to cause God to highly exalt Christ? Verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. By way of review... We've seen this over the last few weeks. Jesus, the eternal word of God, person of the Trinity, God himself, humbled himself by becoming a human baby. The Son of God left heaven and the eternally perfect community of the Trinity to come to earth to live within our mess. We saw last week that God God the Son, the Son of God, was fully obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. Death didn't humble Christ. Remember, we we heard Pastor Steve say this. Christ was the one that humbled death. Jesus died for your sins. He He died the death that you should have died. He paid the penalty that you absolutely could never repay. And Jesus Christ has offered you forgiveness of sins through his death on the cross. So because all of this is true, God the Father has highly exalted Jesus Christ. The word exalted... It means to to raise highly or supremely, to put someone in the most important position of honor and power. So because of Christ's death on the cross, God the Father has raised the Son up in the most important position of honor and power that is possible, that even ever exists or will exist. I want you to see something interesting here in verse 9. So over the past few weeks, Pastor Steve has 
referenced Isaiah multiple times, right? So the Apostle Paul, when he's writing Philippians 2 here, specifically this section 5 through 11, um, he is equating the suffering servant that we find in Isaiah 52 and 53. Paul is saying, hey, that suffering servant that Isaiah talked about and prophesied about, that's Jesus Christ, right? So I want you to see something interesting here. Isaiah 33, verse 10 says, Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. So we see here, God does not share his glory with anyone else. Right? God alone is the one who will be exalted. And yet we see in verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him. So what do we do with that? Isaiah fifty-two thirteen. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Right? So in Philippians here, Paul is telling us that Jesus Christ is God himself in the flesh. There's no, other, um, there's no other lesson or conclusion that we can draw from this is that Jesus Christ really is God himself in the flesh. Right? Christ humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death on a cross, and as a result, he is now highly exalted. We also see God the Father has bestowed on Jesus Christ the name that is above every name. Okay? So what, what, is, what does that mean? What is the importance of a name? Right? In our uh, culture, um, generally speaking, there's always exceptions to the rule, but our culture usually places a name right, as merely a way to identify an object right? or to identify someone, right? identify a person. But in the ancient Near East, especially in the Old Testament, a name was thought to reveal the character of a person. Right? That's why a lot of times when we see somebody named in the Old Testament, we see kind of an explanation sometimes of the meaning of their name. This was true with the names also of God in the Old Testament that we find. Each of the many names of God that we see in the Old Testament reveals something about God's character and his attributes. I right, have a couple examples. El Shaddai, God Almighty, the God who is above all. El Elyon, God Most High. There is no one who is above God. El Roy, the God who sees, the God who sees everything. Right? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, the God who provides. But there was one name that was, over, was considered to be over every name of God above all the other names that we could see. Listen to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3, verses 13 through 15. This is when God met Moses in the burning bush, if you're not familiar with the passage. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to to be remembered throughout all generations. I am. So uh, this name uh, for God, you will see this in most of your English Bibles as uh, capital L-O-R-D, so all caps, right? This is the name, what we call Yahweh, right? This is um, recorded, like I said, it's recorded in all capital letters in your Old Testament, so you might come across that um, at some points, and this this name reflects God's eternality. Because God is eternal, 
Right? He always has existed, and he always will exist. There is never a time when God has not existed. This, this name, uh, Yahweh, the Jewish people and the scribes and everyone who wrote down the Old Testament, they were, when they would make copies or, or anything, they regarded this name as so holy, right? so above, right? that they um, never even actually wrote out the full name. Um, they would only ever write the, the, the consonants, which is Y-H-W-H, um, in our English transliteration, or literally it means to be, right? I am. God has always existed and always will exist. He cannot be categorized. He just is, right? When Moses um, stood before the people of Israel, they knew exactly who Moses, who had sent Moses to get them out of Egypt. They would be rescued by the one true God. And this understanding of this name, Yahweh, was true in Jesus' day as well. Um, the Jewish people of Jesus' day recognized the, the same um, in John eight fifty eight, when Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Right? And we can, we can tell that the Jewish people knew exactly what Jesus was talking about and what he was referring to himself as because they picked up stones to throw at him. Right? But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I say all this to say, Paul is saying... Jesus is God, right? He did not become God. He was not such a, a, a virtuous person on earth that God was like, well, I don't have a choice. I might as well just make him God. That'd be great. Um, and he's not saying that Jesus is a God or a, a lesser God, right? He is God, right? Yahweh has taken on the flesh in the incarnate form of Jesus Christ, God the Father has exalted Jesus Christ above all. Right? When, we, when we think of Christ's exaltation, how we apply that to our lives, right? what, does, what does that mean for us? Right? A common question comes up, what is Jesus Christ doing right now, at this moment? What, what is he doing? Is he, is he twiddling his thumbs, waiting to return? What, what is he doing? Well, actually, he's doing a lot. Okay? Jesus is doing a lot of things right now, but I just wanted to highlight a few of them this morning for us, right? Jesus is reigning as king. Listen to Acts 2, 36. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There is no one more powerful than Jesus Christ. God has made him both Lord and Christ, meaning that he is presently reigning and he is awaiting the time in accordance to God's perfect sovereign plan, his perfect sovereign will, when Christ will return and and make all things right. This is wonderful for us, right? Because it means that Christ is more powerful than any circumstances we could possibly face in this world. No matter what we encounter on this earth, Christ is infinitely more powerful than anything. Jesus is stronger than the stresses that we face. Right? The, the fears that we have and the sins that we commit. He is the reigning king. Right? Now, that's kind of on the high level up here, but on a more personal level, what else is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is saving sinners and he's interceding on our behalf before the Father. Listen to Hebrews chapter 7. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever consequently he is able to save to the uttermost 
those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God in faith. To those whom the Father has called to salvation, their salvation is sure and secure in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is is working presently to save those sinners who belong to him. For those who are saved, Jesus makes intercession for us, Hebrews 7 says. What this means is that right now, Jesus is intervening on our behalf before the Father. He's listening to our prayers, where we have someone to go to when we are in need, when we sin, where we can confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us. We get to pray to our Father through Jesus. While Satan is the great accuser, right, standing before the Father, pointing out our sin and our failures before God, Jesus is the great defender, pointing to his perfect righteousness, his completed work on the cross to the Father as he lives and pleads for us right now. God the Father has exalted Jesus Christ above all. That's our first key truth about Christ's exaltation. Now, our second key truth of Christ's exaltation is found in verses 10 and 11. All will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Point number two, key truth number two, all will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Pick up with me in verse 10. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. It is at the name of Jesus that the world will come to acknowledge Christ as sovereign Lord and Savior. There is no other name. Listen to Isaiah 45. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Jesus Christ is the God who saves his people and will be given universal praise on the last day. Right? As, as believers, we already recognize rightfully that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? We joyfully proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. But there is coming a day when all will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. All of creation, living and dead, will one day recognize that Jesus Christ is the exalted, sovereign Lord over all things. This is a great source of comfort, right? If you're a believer, this is, this is great. This should get you fired up, right? The day is coming... Right? When all will openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? In, in, a, in a world where we sometimes we, we look outside our, 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 our doorstep, we turn on the news, and we feel as though evil goes on unpunished, we as believers can remember the unshakable truth that Christ is Lord over all, and one day all will be made right under his rule. This is a wonderful, comforting truth for the believer. Right, But this is a solemn warning for the unbeliever. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. No one is excluded from this reality. right? Including those who currently do not confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. While the bowing of the knee and confessing with the tongue that Jesus is Lord is um, something that believers will do with, with joy, that we currently do with joy, and that we will do with joy, that is not the case for those who reject the gospel. Right? Now, some people who read this verse, um, they misconstrue the meaning. They say, oh, that means this means that because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That means everybody's going to get saved. This is great. This is wonderful. All roads lead to God. This is great. Worship Him in your own way. Do whatever you want. You'll get there eventually, right? But we know for certain that is not what Scripture teaches, not even remotely close. John 14, 6 says, this is Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only those who believe in the gospel and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be joyful on that day. Those who do not acknowledge Christ as Lord in this life will acknowledge Christ as Lord with fear and trembling when he comes again. And by that time, they will be heading towards their eternal judgment. All will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, universal acknowledgement is not the same thing as universal salvation. Acts 4, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builder which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus that salvation is found. Right? There's no other way to be saved. You can't trust in your good works, your piety. You can't even trust going to church every Sunday for the rest of your life. You can only trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. This is why we as believers, we, we plead with people to believe now, right? Um, even as I, I say this, I'm thinking of probably a dozen, maybe 15, maybe 20 people in my life I know who are currently not confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. There's no second chance after this life is over, right? When Christ returns, it will be too late. You either bow before God now in reverence and gratitude for saving you, or you bow later in fear and trembling as you stand before your righteous judge. There's no almost saved. There's no, oh, I almost made it. I guess I'll let you in, right? So one of my uh, previous jobs when I was in college, um, I had a coworker that we would, uh, when work was slow, we would, we would talk a lot about uh, Jesus and the gospel. And this was a guy who was a little bit, about, probably about 20 years older than me, right? So he's had significantly more life experience than I had, right? At, at one point, he went to church. He grew up in church. Um, you know, he, we, I love talking to him because he was an agnostic, okay? He um, basically means he didn't, he believes that, you know, there might be a God out there, but I don't know who he is, and if, if he is out there, we can't know him, right? A sad, sad uh, reality for this coworker of mine, and um, work was often slow um, at the, the shifts that we worked together, so we would talk a lot, right? And I, there was another coworker that I had who also went to the same college that I did, and he was a believer, so we would get in these very interesting discussions with one another, right? And we got pretty personal sometimes because we knew each other really well, okay? And we would, we would kind of make fun, we'd poke fun at each other and different things, but uh, one day in particular, it was really, really slow. We, we were in the process of closing up, and I was talking to my coworker a little bit, and I said, you know, like, what... what what are you going to do, 
right? What are you going to do? Because you're sitting, you're sitting here, you're telling me that, you know, yeah, God might be real. You know, you say, like, I'm not an atheist. I think atheists are crazy. There has to be something out there, but if there is something, we can't know who he is, right? I'd say, okay, so let's just assume here for a second that I'm, that I'm right, right? And I, and I told him, I know I'm right. I, I'm, I'm convinced I am right, um, but let's just assume that, that, that I'm right. What are you going to do, right? What are you going to do on that day of judgment when you stand before your creator, Right. What are you going to do? And I, we started talking about um, you know, church and, and why he wasn't in church anymore. He hadn't been to church in many, many years. Uh, and he said, well, when I was in church, something happened to me, and I just didn't, I didn't like how it, was, how it was treated well. Nobody took me seriously, and so I, I left, and I never, I never went back. Right. I just never went back, and I thought, ah, if that's what church people are like, I don't, I don't really want to deal with it um, anymore. I said, well, so, 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 what, so let's, let's say I'm, I'm right. Okay, what, are you gonna, what are you going to say to the Almighty Creator when you stand before Him? He said, well, if God really is loving, if God really cares for me where I'm at right now, I think He'll give me a pass for what I went through. Right? Devastating. Right? I, I, my mouth was agape when I said, hang on a second, right? Let's, let's, let's talk about this further, Right? There's no almost saved. There's no, oh man, I was right on the last step and then I just, did, ah man, that's okay. You're, you're so close to the finish line, come on. Right? There's no participation trophy right, for salvation. Right? You're either in or you are out. If your plan is to stand before the almighty creator with a litany of excuses about why you didn't turn in faith, I have bad news for you. I don't have to wish you luck or well wishes or anything, because I know how it's going to turn out for you, because Scripture is very clear. That will not turn out well. As believers, we, we joyfully acknowledge that Christ is Lord, right? and we long for the day when Christ will be acknowledged as Lord and Savior by the whole world. right? But this doesn't mean that we get complacent about sharing our faith. right? It can be very, very easy for us to kind of say, all right, I'm saved. Maybe my immediate family is saved. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of, you know, ball up and let's just pray Jesus returns tomorrow, right? We need to share the gospel with people, right? If it's true, which it is, that Jesus is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved, then we have to tell people, right? People have to hear the news, right? We must share the gospel with our coworkers, family, and our friends before it is too late, all will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. All will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lastly, our last key final truth about Christ's exaltation we see here in verse 11. Point number three, God the Father will receive all the glory. God the Father will receive all the glory. Verse 11 again. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All of history is moving towards the point when all will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is for God's glory. Christ is the incarnate God in the flesh, possessing the name above every name, right? who one day will be acknowledged and confessed as Lord of all, by all. Your life is not about 
you. Right? Oftentimes we get, I know I'm, I'm prone to do this, right? We get in our little, um, little hidey hole, I guess you call them, and we just kind of focus on us. Right? We focus on, oh, I've got plans, I've got dreams, I want to I, you know, do this thing. Maybe you're like me and you're just thinking about what you're having for lunch, right? Um, but life isn't about you, right? Life isn't about us. Life is about bringing God glory, right? The ultimate goal of exalting Christ above all is so that the Father will receive all the glory that is due to Him, right? God the Father will receive all of the glory. And this is not glory that he will share. He will not share his glory, honor, and praise with another because it belongs to him alone. God will not give his glory to another. Life isn't about us. It's about bringing glory to God. After Christ came to the world as a baby, he lived the perfect life that we could not live He suffered a humiliating, brutal death on the cross for us. And it brought glory to the Father. And it brought glory to the Father to exalt Him above all things. God's glory will fully and finally reach its culmination when all creation will one day acknowledge Jesus Christ as the sovereign Lord and Savior. To recap briefly. We saw three truths about Christ's exaltation and what it, what it means for us. God the Father has exalted Jesus Christ above all. Jesus is God in the flesh. As Hebrews 12 two says, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's not a God, nor did he become a God. He is God. Always has been, always will be. All will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. The call to turn in faith and believe in Christ is is now, not next week, not 12 years from now, is now. There's coming a day when it will be too late. We don't like to talk about this because it's uncomfortable, right? But it is true. There's coming a day when it will be too late to repent of your sins. And you will be confessing Christ as Lord as you head towards eternal judgment, right? For believers, that's not on us to be complacent about or to be smug and say, oh, yep, we know where those people are going, right? You think it's hot here, right, in summertime. But, like, I grew up and there was a church sign that had that, and I always thought that was so funny as a 12-year-old. I still kind of think it's funny as a 12-year-old, but um, as a 27-year-old into 12-year-old's body. But uh, turn in faith and believe now, right? Okay, that's not something that... We want to put off, right? We want to talk to our family and our friends, right, and our, our, and our neighbors about Christ. God the Father will receive all of the glory, right? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about whoever lives down the street from you. All of human history is moving towards the moment when Christ will return and make all things right. And this will bring ultimate glory to God Father. We, as believers, we long for that day, right? We are excited for that day. That should get us pumped up. And we are thankful that God does not share his glory with anyone else. God has highly exalted Christ so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the point. That's all of human history right there. To the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your unchanging word or the, the, the truth that is contained within it. Lord, I pray that we would be bold in how we share the gospel, Lord, but also understanding that you are working to save those who belong to you. Lord, I pray that we would, we would rest in that, Lord, that we would continuously share the gospel with those who need it around us. Lord, I pray that we continue um, to keep our testimonies, Lord, with um, the unbelievers that we, that we work with or maybe who have family events with, whatever it may be. Lord, we are so thankful um, that you are the God who is. You um, were not created. You will never cease to exist. You always have been and you always will be. That is such a comfort to me this morning. We pray as we leave here this morning, Lord, that we would, we would remember that life is not about us, that it is about You. It's about Your glory. And I pray that You would um, work within all of us, find things in our lives that we maybe aren't um, giving the glory to You that You so deserve. We pray that You would uh, be with us as we go into the new year, Lord, that we would uh, make this year about You, Lord, not about us, not about our wants, our desires, our dreams, what have you, but that we would, we would lay all that at Your feet, Lord, and say, You, you are the one that matters, Lord. It's, it's, it's You who receive the glory and not, not us. Lord, we are just so thankful for You this morning. Lord, we are just so... I, I am just so... Um, over, overcome by your, your eternal presence. Lord, we, man, it's, it, is, it, is, it is a wonderful thing to joyfully serve the God of the universe. We thank you so much for who you are. In Christ's name we pray, amen.